Good afternoon from New York. We're coming on the air with breaking news. Other big stories. The King of Pop has died. Michael Diana, Princess of Wales, has been killed in a car accident. Kurt Cobain, the leader of one of rock's most gifted and promising bands, Nirvana, is dead. And this is the story as we know it so far. Hey guys, welcome back to Dead Famous Pod, where we delve into what really happened to our stars, allegedly. Now look, I'm so excited because I'm finally getting into the true crime side of pop culture with this episode, and that's like the whole point of what this podcast was about. So today I'm going to talk about why the famous movie star Ashton Kutcher had to be a star witness into the murder trial of a girl named Ashley Ellerin. So this girl, Ashley, was 22 years old when she died, and she had pretty big connections into Hollywood. She was reportedly linked to Vin Diesel and Jeremy Sisto, but her most lucrative one is arguably the fling she briefly had with Ashton Kutcher in the early 2000s. However, this fling was cut really, really short because she was actually killed before they even got to go out on their first real date together. But before I get into the details of her murder, the suspects, and everything the police uncovered, I'm going to briefly give you an idea of who this girl even was and a bit of her background. So Ashley Ellerin was born in 1979 in New Jersey, apparently, but by high school, she and her family moved to Los Altos in California in the San Francisco Bay Area. So Los Altos is a small little town. It's a sunny little place of roughly 30,000 people. So she really didn't grow up in a big city or anything like that. She even just went to local high school, but she did have pretty big dreams because once she graduated, she transferred to Los Angeles and went to the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising to pursue a career in fashion. While studying here, she lived on a street called Pinehurst Road, which is like smack bang in the middle of Hollywood Heights, and they're all fairly decent houses with like proper gates and stuff to block off the houses from the street. Anyway, according to a book written by her childhood friend Carolyn Mernick, Ashley was working a makeup counter by day and stripping in Las Vegas by night to try and make ends meet. Now, I'm not from America, so I don't really know where these places are, but I'm guessing this was a stretch because I really don't think she'd be going all the way to Las Vegas every single night, but you know, you get the point. Some sources indicate she was the life of the party, and at the infamous trial, her friend Chris Duran said that she was, quote, fun and spontaneous. So, you know, all of a sudden, she's gone from being a pretty small town girl now to living this, like, pretty hectic lifestyle. Carolyn wrote that Ashley dabbled in crystal meth and would even become, quote, involved with older men who she got to pay her bills, but some other sources deny these allegations, so just take that as you will. What we do know for sure, though, is that during this time, she met a few people with connections into the Hollywood world, and as I said before, she dated some pretty high-status actors. Unfortunately, though, before she got the chance to grow in her career as a fashion designer or even just live out the rest of her life as God intended, she was murdered. The night Ashley Ellerin died, it was a hazy Wednesday night with some light rain in Hollywood Heights, and she was actually headed out for a date to go attend the Grammys after party. It was a pretty late night already because Ashley decided she would wash and dry her hair before the date, but unfortunately, she never even made it. Early the next morning, her roommate, Jennifer Desisto, came home to find her dead body laying just outside their bathroom instead. Now look, I'm not going to go into the details of the injuries because I just can't even deal with stuff like that. I'm already getting freaked out enough as it is. But just so you get the idea of how bad it was, she was stabbed 
47 times. And it was such a gruesome scene that Jennifer even ran out of the house, hysterically crying, like even before she called the cops. You can look up the injuries on Google or whatever if you want, but yeah, it was really brutal. Also, I cannot blame Jennifer. Like, if I was her, I would probably do the exact same thing in that situation, to be honest. Anyway, so yeah, Jennifer was terrified that the guy was still in the house and was just a bit of a mess, but the cops came pretty quickly to the house and closed it off as a crime scene. It was really difficult for the police to determine what actually happened or even get a suspect straight away though because there was no apparent physical evidence. Not even any signs of forced entry. Absolutely nothing. Ashley and her roommate always kept all windows and doors locked. They were allegedly very, very cautious about their safety and would only let people into the home who were known to them. So with that and the fact that she was stabbed so many times and in such a brutal way, pretty much told the cops that whoever did this was known to Ashley and whoever did this was furious. Because of the lack of DNA left at the crime scene, no forced entry and basically nothing to go off, the police decided to quote, start with the victim and work backwards to find her associations. It was no easy feat though. Throughout her adult life, Ashley got quite a bit of attention from men because she was quite the looker and just had a whole heap of friends. There's no doubt she was a beautiful girl, so who can blame her for kind of dabbling in the dating scene for a bit? Like she was young and living her life to the fullest, why not? But this just made it a little confusing for the police to narrow in on a suspect straight away. At the time of her death, there were a couple of guys that were completely besotted and smitten with her. One of the guys is Ashton Kutcher, another is a man named Michael, and the last one is a dude that I'm not actually going to mention the name, but I'll tell you that he was her property manager at the time of her death. And these are the three men I want to focus in on today. Now look, these guys were not exactly obvious suspects to the police or anything like that, so I'm just going to refer to them as witnesses for the purpose of this podcast episode and not to mislead anyone to false narratives. Let's start with witness number one, the property manager. So this guy was an aspiring actor while he was working as Ashley's property manager at the time of her death. He would also come by and like help her out with little repairs around the house and stuff like that. Now, I'm not 100% sure about American laws, but I do know that in Australia, your property manager always has a copy of the key to a rental. So it can be assumed that he had access into the house kind of whenever he wanted it. And remember, there were no signs of forced entry, so that would explain that part of the crime. Now, this guy also actually ended up admitting to the police after her death that himself and Ashley were having a secret relationship. I couldn't really find details anywhere as to why the relationship was a secret, but maybe because it's out of bounds for a professional relationship like property manager to renter, but who really knows? Whatever the case, he allegedly told police that he was even there at her house the night she was killed and was intimate with her just a couple hours or so before that. He told them that he left the house around 8.15pm just before she was about to hop in the shower, which kind of lines up with a call that she had later at 8.24pm, where she told Ashton Kutcher on the phone that she had just gotten out of the shower. So that all makes sense. The defendant's lawyer in the trial even tried to argue that this guy should be considered as a suspect, with jealousy being the motive here, and the court even allegedly heard that he had a fresh scratch on his right forearm that couldn't be explained. Now, I know I didn't tell you the details of the injury, but they showed that she did try to fight back during the course of the struggle. Detectives reportedly talked to Ashley's roommate about this guy, and she apparently said that this guy had a, quote, dark side. 
I know what you're thinking, this seems shady as fuck, but the police actually ruled him out as a suspect pretty quickly because of how cooperative he was with them from the get-go, and he was also able to prove apparently that he left her house around 8.15pm. It was also discovered through forensic analysis reports that she was killed after this time, somewhere between 8.30 and 10.30pm, so yeah, he was actually let off the hook pretty fast. So I guess this takes us to our next star witness, Mr. Ashton Kutch. If for some reason you don't know him, Ashton Kutcher is a pretty big movie star. He's acted in some movies and shows such as Dude, Where's My Car, That 70s Show, and he's been in a lot of rom-coms with pretty big actresses as well, like Cameron Diaz, Brittany Murphy, Natalie Portman, Hilary Duff. He's also even now married to Mila Kunis and was previously married to Demi Moore, so you get it, he's major. Also, like, low-key jealous that he's kissed some of the hottest women in the world. But anyway, off track. <laughs> Quickly notice that in this instance, I'm going to go off the E! News report from the transcript of the murder trial at Los Angeles Superior Court on 29th of May, 2019. So Ashton says that he met Ashley Ellerin roughly two months before she died when she was dating a friend of his. Flash forward to two weeks before her murder and Ashton attended her housewarming party where she told him he was newly single and so was he. He then asked her if she would want to maybe go out sometime and I guess she agreed because Ashton says they made loose plans to go out for like a casual dinner and drinks and just see where it goes kind of thing. On the night of their date, Ashton rang Ashley to tell her he was running late, but she really didn't care. She had just gotten out of the shower and still needed time to dry her hair, so she was actually keen on a bit more time so she could get ready. Now, the details for the next couple hours are a little hazy. Some reports say Ashton didn't want to come off too strong, so he didn't call her again to see when she would be ready. But by 10 p.m., I guess he figured that maybe enough time had passed and tried to ring her again. She didn't answer, so he says that he eventually thought he should go to her place and just see what's happening, like if the date was still on or what. He arrived at her place between 10.30 and 10.45pm and noticed the security gate was open and all the lights in the house were on, so he decided to walk up to the door and try his luck. He figured she was home at first because the lights being on and all that, but when she didn't answer the door, eventually he kind of thought she was pissed off that he was so late and had gone out with her friends or something instead. Ashton said in court that he, quote, thought it was odd that the lights were all on. I didn't want to be the guy looking through a window, but I guess he must have eventually had a look because he says that he saw what he thought was red wine spilled on the carpet. He didn't think anything of this though as he'd been to a party just a couple weeks prior, the housewarming one, and figured they hadn't properly cleaned up or something yet. So anyway, he ended up leaving her place and that was that. Until the following day when he found out that she was dead. Ashton started freaking the fuck out, as you would, and actually called the police to tell them this because he was so scared that his fingerprints would be on her front door and he would become a suspect or something. Luckily, though, this was written off pretty quickly by police because a neighbor of Ashley's testified that he heard two screams coming from her house, like women's screams, at about 8.30 p.m., which was just after Ashton's call to her at 8.24 p.m. when they discussed that he was going to be late. Now, Ashton and detectives kind of realized that the red wine stain that he saw on the carpet probably was actually blood, so she must have already been dead when Ashton got there. Due to that and Ashton not rocking up to her house till well after 10pm, he was also ruled out as a suspect by police. This takes us to witness number three, Michael. 
Once again, I'm going to backtrack for a minute so we get the gist of his and Ashley's relationship. So Michael was also living in the Hollywood Hills, doing some auditions for movies, trying to live the Hollywood dream, but mainly worked as an air conditioning repairman to earn a living for himself. He apparently had some history fighting as a boxer also, and I guess this helped him get a role in a short film called Boxing's Being Good to Me. He told the director of the film that he was training to be a pro fighter, so yeah, that helped him secure the role. So he met Ashley in a pretty ordinary way. Ashley and her friend Chris got a flat tire right outside of her house, and Michael came over to help them. Apparently, though, Chris already knew how to change a tire, so he did that while Ashley and Michael talked. They must have hit it off in some kind of capacity because they actually did exchange phone numbers. According to another friend of theirs, Justin Peterson, she wasn't really all that interested in him, though. Ashley had a lot of guys after her, and he just didn't stand out. However, she must have stood out to him because he allegedly kept calling the house phone and was even rocking up uninvited. Justin even said in the trial that Michael was, quote, laser-focused on Ashley at a party and could not keep his eyes off her kind of thing. The Sun News reported that Ashley feared she had a stalker, but this really isn't quoted anywhere else or by any of her friends. Her friends just noted him as the creepy aircon guy, but they did think he was creepy enough to mention him to the police after she was murdered. After doing some digging, detectives found Michael's name and tried to track him down. Turns out it wasn't all that difficult because he only lived a few blocks away from Ashley. Then, in an act of fate or whatever you want to call it, Chicago police actually contacted the LAPD asking if they could get a DNA sample from a man named Michael. It was the same guy and it was for a murder they were investigating for a girl named Trisha. So the homicide detective on the case, Tom Small, later told Chicago Magazine that this is when, quote, bells and whistles went off. Apparently, the type of attack and victims were similar, even like the type of weapon and method of attack. Obviously, being a boxer too, Michael had the strength needed to fight another human like that. So they just straight away thought that this was their guy. However, unfortunately for the crime in Chicago, Michael had actually been in the car with the victim the day she was killed and again, there was no DNA left at Ashley's crime scene so there just still wasn't enough evidence to link him to the murders beyond a reasonable doubt. But even as bad as this already was, two more women were attacked after the death of Ashley Ellerin. Their names were Maria Bruno and Michelle Murphy and they were both attacked while lying in their own beds at night. Again, I'm not going to go into the details, but yeah, they were asleep in their own beds when the attacks happened and there were no signs of forced entry, so it was someone who had to have had scoped the place out before carrying out the attacks. And guess who lived directly from these two women and had direct line of sight into their bedroom? Yep, Michael the creepy aircon guy. Unfortunately, Maria did not survive her attack and was unfortunately killed, but a blue medical booty was found outside on the pavement near her house containing some blood, so at least there was like some kind of evidence for the police. However, Michelle actually did survive her attack. Somewhere during the attack, Michael accidentally cut himself, so she seized the opportunity to stab him back. It must have been a really bad injury because it was enough to get him to even run out of her house. He allegedly said, I'm sorry to her before running out of the room and leaving a trail of blood, which obviously meant police could get some DNA and also Michelle was then able to identify him. He allegedly said, I'm sorry to her before running out of the room, leaving a trail of blood, which obviously meant that police could get some DNA finally, and also Michelle was able to identify him. 
After searching Michael's home, the police found the second blue booty in his apartment, which would finally give the detectives the gold nugget they needed to arrest this guy. However, it took another three years for Michael to be linked to the murder of Trisha, but how it was uncovered is pretty bloody wild. So Michael turned out to be a pretty notorious serial killer and was labeled as the Hollywood Ripper by the media. In 2011, the TV channel CBS was showing an episode about him and two men actually recognized him. Apparently, when Michael was working as a bouncer in LA, he asked two of his colleagues if they had ever killed anyone and he bragged that he had allegedly killed someone and said, quote, yeah, I buried the bitch. I left the bitch on the steps for dead. Considering he worked this job straight after moving from Chicago and Trisha was killed outside her home on her front doorsteps, the timelines and the story really added up. These two men testified in court and I guess the rest is history. But do you guys also remember Ashley's friend, Justin Peterson, who I mentioned before? He actually told a story to CBS that Michael allegedly once rocked up to his house at 3am saying he couldn't go home because the FBI was waiting for him to collect DNA samples regarding a murder in Chicago. Justin thought this was weird at the time and questioned what he had to hide, but just played it off that he was an oddball sort of guy because apparently Michael talked quite a lot of shit. Michael's former best friend also testified in court that he would allegedly study forensics. He says Michael would go online and find out whatever he could. And also prosecutors said that Michael allegedly studied a book that taught you how to kill with a knife. So Michael was eventually found guilty at the trial and was sentenced to death on 16th of July, 2021, while he apparently showed no visible reaction to this sentencing at all. However, I do think it's important to mention that to this day, Michael claims his innocence and says that, quote, I'm going to death row wrongfully and unjustfully. I don't know whether I believe him or not, but I think it's really important to note. Remember I said before that the defendant's lawyer in the trial was pointing the finger at someone else being that third guy that I mentioned. This whole thing is a weird situation, but what I just don't really understand and couldn't find much information about is how Michael was actually linked to Ashley's murder. I don't know what I believe, but I would love to hear your thoughts. If you DM me at DeadFamousApod on Instagram, tell me what you think. Do you think the police got the right guy or do you think maybe the defendant's lawyer was right or was it someone else entirely? We just don't know, but let me know your thoughts. Anyway, I'll shut up now. So please subscribe. Just hit the little bell button. Um, and if not, I do have a TikTok page. You can go follow if you want to. And I just tell shorter stories there. So the next episode will be out in a fortnight and I'll talk to you then. Mm-hmm.